Welcome to FedSpeak. I'm Pedro da Costa. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast today, David Andalfato. He's Senior Vice President at the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, and he joins us today from, from St. Louis. Thank you so much, David. Hey, Pedro. It's great to be here. Thank you. Really appreciate you taking the time. So if we could just jump into the question that's on everyone's mind, markets are really kind of tantalized by the prospect of one or more 50 basis point rate hikes this year. And I'm wondering what you make of that possibility and uh, how much you think the economy can take. Right. So, as you know, my own president is one of the uh, people advocating for a pretty aggressive uh, hike, hiking cycle, 50 points, basis points at more than one meeting, I guess, going forward. Um, he's of the view, uh, shared by many, that the, the Fed is, is missing on its inflation ma- mandate and uh, that the, the employment side of the mandate seems to be reasonably uh, well met and that it's now time to to hike rather aggressively from these very low rates. And so um, I'm not so sure how persuasive he will be (laughs) at FOMC, but uh, certainly I think there are people uh, on the committee that probably share his view. Uh, And, you know, as to the economy's ability to withstand it, well, you know, rates are, are pretty low. Uh, labor market's pretty high. I think, you know, job openings relative to unemployment is something like an unprecedentedly high ratio of 1.7 to 1. So the labor market, uh, you know, could potentially, I think, absorb this very, uh, without too much trouble. Uh, Interesting question might be kind of the effect that a very aggressive hiking cycle might have on asset prices, home values, but even there, uh, I think the economic fundamentals are, are, are pretty strong, right? We've had remarkably strong real growth uh, coming out of the COVID pandemic. And, and I think that um, the hope is that the economy will be, uh, you know, sufficiently strong to absorb those rate hikes. Well, President Biller has been, has been pretty convincing so far. So maybe uh, maybe he will sway sway his colleagues there. So can we talk a little bit about your inflation outlook? What where do you see inflation ending this year and how does the war in Ukraine affect that outlook, if at all? <laughs> yeah, as you know, I, uh, we've talked before, I'm not very good at forecasting inflation. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was one of the uh, people who were forecasting some inflation uh, way back as, 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 as early as December 2020. Uh, but it, but I, I completely missed kind of the strength of the inflation and its persistent uh, persist, persistence, like like many people have. So it, it continues to surprise me, uh, both in level and persistence. Um, but having said that, uh, I, I I still you know I'm kind of in the camp that believes that as far as I can see, you know, in conditioning on on events, that inflation is 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 likely to come down eventually although perhaps not as quickly as, as people uh, would like. And certainly the war in Ukraine now is really, again, another shock that's kind of, uh, you know, altered the forecast. I mean, uh, even though, um, you know, we were aware that this was a possibility, even in, I think, January, I wrote that this was a risk. Honestly, I didn't think it would happen, but there you go. <laughs> it's happened. So I, I'm not going to make a, any give you any target for inflation, but you know I, I think that um, certainly I don't see hyperinflation or, or inflation getting out of control. I think we can count on the on the Fed to kind of get on top of this, um, and um, and so I expect inflation to come down. Uh, now it's it's kind of elevated and kind of how far down I don't know, but uh, 
earlier, I was forecasting it coming back down to 2.5% over the course of the year, uh, supply chain issues being resolved, et cetera, et cetera. But now the war in Ukraine is kind of like, you know, my goodness, uh, all the events, the sanctions, the trade disruptions, who knows now how long these things are likely to persist. Uh, and on the fiscal side, I kind of see that it's not it's not clear what's going to happen on the federal level. You know, we have to see what happens with the midterms. Um, and what, another part that I missed was uh, the, the the states are are flush with cash, and it's not it's not clear kind of how the states are going to manage their cash balances going forward. Some states, as you know, are giving out cash uh, to, uh, to to their uh, constituents to help you know to help with the high gas prices, for example, that might be a good idea, but you know, that's hardly something that's going to keep inflation (laughs) down. And so uh, I can't forecast what, you know, 50 States are going to do it with their excess balances. And then of course you've got, uh, I think JP Morgan uh, published some data recently that showed that American households are still kind of their checking accounts are still relatively flush with cash. And, and and whether this manifests itself as, as pent up demand going forward, you know, and how slowly that pent up demand will manifest itself is something again that's very difficult to forecast. But taking all these things into consideration, you know, with the the Fed acting, um, I think that the inflation is going to be elevated. It's going to be more persistent than we would have liked, but it is going to come down. It's going to come down eventually, and it's it's important for us not to overreact either. And but is there a danger? Do you think that the elevated inflation prints that we we're seeing could have the kind of effect on inflation expectations that kind of unmoors it or leads to, you know, an embedded cycle of higher price setting expectations and wage setting expectations? Right. I'm not a big fan of that theory because um, I think that the self fulfilling uh, forces, these theories kind of really do depend on, at the end of the day, on monetary and fiscal accommodation. So I do believe that dynamic, the wage price spiral, for example, uh, that people talk about, or inflation expectations causing inflation, I think that's a legitimate um, uh, theory, and, and that could transpire in reality, but only if monetary and fiscal policy accommodated it. So, so really, the answer to that is, well, it kind of depends on what your feelings are about how aggressively and seriously you believe the Fed is likely to react, and also how seriously Congress is likely to take the issue of high inflation. You know, the, our representatives are, are hearing it now from their constituents, uh, and we'll see how it, it, it kind of, uh, you know, uh, factors into their plans for spending and taxation going forward. Um, so yeah, that's my, I, I don't see that fear. And, and right now I don't think markets see that fear either. If you look at the five-year, five-year forward ex- inflation expectations based on the TIPS data, you see that they are still reasonably well anchored. They're still at historical, you know, 2.3%. So the market's expecting, according to this interpretation, two and a half percent inflation, uh, five years from now over the f- five-year horizon from five years to 10 years out. So the long run appears to be anchored still. Um, and I think that makes sense. Um, Find some comfort there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as many of your colleagues do. And uh, what markets have actually started to 
to price in and to, and discuss the risk of a recession, you know, one or two years down the line. How big a risk do you think that is? You know, uh, boy, yeah. How, how does one forecast these things? I mean, I think what I'm comfortable with saying is the following: I mean, we were coming out of a great big COVID shock. And uh, our recovery from that shock, the real side of the economy, the labor market uh, has, has really, we've done a V-shaped basically recovery. We've really, really recovered strongly. And we have to give credit to the American people, the resiliency of the private sector, and also uh, the government sector, the fiscal stimulus. Uh, I, I don't like to use the word stimulus. I mean, the support checks that were delivered. Especially to the, the those most vulnerable and those disproportionately affected. So, so together, uh, you know, the private and public sectors came together to generate this very robust uh, real recovery. Now, now maybe we overdid it a little bit on the fiscal side, and maybe you know the the the, the uh, supply uh, side as well. The uh, the war is kind of making inflation go a bit higher than we would like, fine. But one thing that's clear is I think that we should expect a slowdown in growth because we've grown very rapidly as we've recovered. So a growth slowdown in my books is, is, is reasonable to expect and, and quite likely. But whether this uh, manifests itself as a recession will depend ultimately on what sort of shocks the economy is hit when growth slows. I, I, don't, I can't forecast what those shocks are. They're very hard to forecast. All I'm comfortable with saying is if we're, uh, we've slowed down and if we're hit by a negative shock, we'll likely go into recession. But, but what could those shocks be? I don't know. I'm not comfortable in, in, in making that prediction. We've been hit with enough unexpected shocks uh, in the last couple of years to, to remain humble about Correct. predicting future <laughs> ones, right? Maybe one last question, if I may, David. So the yes. Fed is, is set to tighten not just on the interest rate front, but also to begin reducing its, I think it's going to hit $9 trillion balance sheet. Mm. Um, how do you view the balance sheet reduction portion of, uh, of monetary tightening? Some people tend to think of it as kind of, maybe you can go faster there to, to go more slowly on rates, but I wonder how you view that balance. You know, um, it's a tough one, you know, because when I when I look at the the theories and the models, the the, the balance sheet uh, doesn't play any particular major role in the inflationary process in our theories. Now that could be the theories are wrong, of course, as many of your listeners will, will might say that. But uh, we we could go at length why I believe that. I just rest assured, I've given it a lot of thought, and um, and it's it's not clear that uh, um, you know converting an existing stock of interest-bearing treasuries into a, in a stock of interest-bearing reserves really is kind of the first-order effect, uh, is going to have a first-order effect on inflation. I, I am more concerned about the total stock of uh, debt and how it grows. So the, the quantitative tightening is really, uh, though in reality, uh, it will have some effect, and I think likely the effect is likely to manifest itself at the long end. And actually, you know, I've heard some people speak to that, like uh, as part of the kind of tightening process, you know, we do the quantitative tightening, uh, not sales, but kind of cessation of purchases. And, and, and this should have the effect uh, of raising long rates. And, uh, and at the short end, the Fed is raising, as you know, there's a lot of talk now about yield curve inversion. 
And so, uh, according so to that, would some help that, prevent, that would help prevent a deeper inversion, if you will. That, that, that's right. So you'd basically be lifting the yield curve uh, kind of in a more or less parallel manner. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can see that. There's another good reason for peeling off the, the balance sheet or, or at least reducing it. Letting letting the uh, maturity uh, letting the securities mature, and and running off is that uh, the political one. It, it's uh, the Fed doesn't like to be uh, saddled with a large balance sheet, uh, especially non-treasury securities like the mortgage-backed securities it holds. It's uh, it, it just invites uh, uh, all sorts of flack from Congress. So there is kind of that political side too. But that's a political side. Uh, just on the the economic side, yeah, it might make sense to peel it off and 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 let let the pressure manifest itself at the long end as as the Fed tightens at the short end. Well, thank you so much, David. As someone who's been watching the Fed for over fifteen years now, this is going to be one of the more fascinating years for me as a Fed watcher. So it, it always gets more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate your time. I really thank you for coming on the show. That was David Andalfado. He's an economist and senior vice president at the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Thank you again for coming on FedSpeak. My pleasure. Thank you, Pedro. Really appreciate it.